There's so much he provides that he gives us. And I think there are times when we find ourselves satisfied with just doing a few things. My, my phone will do gobs of stuff. And I just could ask a teenager and say, oh, yeah, did you know that? <laughs> no, no, it's, no, it's beyond my comprehension. But what God offers us in his word of his character, of his nature, of his desire for this relationship that we have in him is so much, so much of that which we haven't touched yet. And there are times when I think we find ourselves satisfied with just getting by with communication, you know, you've got to pray, you've got to help this, or asking for something, or looking for some direction, you know, participating in a worship service. But beyond that, a majority of our day, a majority of our life, I don't even enter into thinking what he has offered, you know. We come to the psalm, and again, uh, we've repeated it before, the idea that it's an expression of what David gives of his own experience. And he's confessing a lot of things, of realities of who God is, because it's real to him, and it's real to us. As we come to the psalm, we've looked at these, and, and we'll just you follow along. I'll read the first uh, 16 verses of it, but we're only going to deal today with uh, the last four. It's a repeat. You know, well, Pastor, we've gone over that already. Aren't we saying the same thing? You know, isn't it? But it's not. It's it's a further expansion. It's like a, a digging in and more. There's why there's more, some more. But it's the same thing. No, it's not. It's David's experience and saying this is all the manifestation of what God's given me just in this particular psalm. So follow along if you would. I'm going to be reading from verse one through verse sixteen. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compass my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, 
which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there were none of them. Father, we're thankful for the privilege of allowing us, your children, to come to your word and ask that your spirit would guide our hearts, that the truths that are found here would be uh, illumined in our day, that we might be profitable servants as we take these things and apply them, not only here on the Lord's Day, but as it is throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout life, for it indeed is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It does give us great joy as we are victorious, and it does give us encouragement as we are downtrodden. It gives us strength as we are weak. So, Father, we allow this time for your spirit to be our teacher. Hide your servant, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at these four verses kind of briefly, just uh, take them apart. And, and again, there's not necessarily uh, things that are brand new in the overall picture. Uh, David is expressing his understanding of his relationship to God, uh, and then we'll draw some conclusions. Uh, verse 13, he says, For thou hast possessed my reins. Now, if somebody would give you that statement, you'd say, what does that mean? You know, possessed? Reins? You know, as somebody with horses, you kind of understand the reins, you know. But the word possessed here has nothing to do with being owned. You possess this or ownership. It's the idea of being made. And if he is made, therefore he knows. God of all who would understand that principle. He says, you have possessed my reins. Now there's another one. What does reins mean? Kidneys, literally, for the Hebrew, it was kidneys. And in essence, it comes about all of the inward parts. You know, we've, we've come to an understanding through the uh, first 12 verses here of all that God knows. We talked about him knowing the words before they come to my mouth, uh, knowing my sitting down and my rising up, knowing my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions, knowing all of that. But now David's gone even deeper. He says, Lord, you are the one who has not only made me inside, my, my inner being, all the parts of me, but you know me. You know me in such a special way. You know all my plumbing, as it were. And he says, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Literally, the translation is, thou hast woven me in my mother's womb. God has not only made him, by the miracle of the birth, understanding how that womb, the child is woven in within that womb. It's a, it's a beautiful tapestry that is presented unto David. It is understanding, and it's all of its simplicity. He says, these things are marvelous to me. So, verse 14, because of this understanding, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Fearfully, not the idea of being scared, but it's a principle of being in awe. Uh, you're in front of the sacred. You're in front of God. Maybe for us, it's like looking at the sunrise over, uh, over a mountain range covered in snow, and you just look at it and say, wow, how beautiful. Or the first time you hold a, a baby in your arms. Oh, how, how absolutely beautiful. In life, those are presentations of awe, 
of splendor that we see that's just almost takes our breath away. And so he says, for me, uh, Lord, this is, I praise thee because in a sense, I understand that you indeed have provided me with such a, a blessing. Medical science calls that child fetus, a POC, a product of conception, a mass of tissues and a collection of cells. But David says, no, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Me, not a mass of tissues, not a collection of cells, not something to be disposed of or taken lightly. He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm trembling with astonishment. And it's his confession to say, I'm not only made, but I'm owned. Because he made me, he owns me. He put those parts together in such a way. You know, we talk, again, all of the outside attributes that God sees, David says, I express those, Lord, you know those. But now, in my deeper, innermost part of me, it says, you indeed have done it so marvelously. To David, the fact that he, as well as all humanity, was distinct from creation is obvious. Distinct from the animal world. David witnesses, even as we do every day, how our bodies heal, how our bodies can move, uh, how blood flows through our veins, how, how we, uh, even at night, you go and lay down at night and think, boy, I've got to make sure that my heart beats. I've got to make sure that I breathe, you know? All within the workings of his hand, David says, I'm I'm just absolutely astonished. I'm amazed. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And it brings me to such an expression. He sees himself in such a glorious way. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth it right well. There's a difference of the animal kingdom. He says, my soul knows it. As much as people would like to say we've been evolved out of the animal world, because look at the way the monkey does here, and look at the way this type of animal imitates human beings. There's no soul. There's no way for that animal, as much as he may mimic what man does or does because of his own life, there's no soul for him to say, I recognize the creator that has brought me into existence. David said, this is indeed marvelous in my sight. I joy in such a thing. God said, let let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. God indeed has been acknowledged in such a way. Our world today decides that it's going to save the puppies. Don't worry about the infants. It's going to save the the little animals. It's going to save the the animal kingdom. But think nothing whatsoever of the humans made in the image of God. Maybe you've taken up the new relationship with our God. But I think we share the same picture of that. Next verse, verse 15. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. My substance, uh, literally my frame, my skeletal system, uh, and it would include everything else, the, the skin, the flesh, 
the muscles, the veins, the arteries, everything that's all part of the picture that he says here that's been provided, none of them, he says, are hid. My substance was not hid from you, God. Today a doctor would order a what? Uh, Ultrasound, I think, to be able to see the, the baby in the mother's womb, to get some kind of a picture. And therefore, you kind of say, well, look, it could be this and it could be that. But David says, no, all of the details that are born within this womb, you see them all exactly because you've created them, you've made them. You are indeed the source of all of these things. But then he adds on here, you created in the lowest parts of the earth. It's kind of a Hebraic phrase that means a, a place of mystery, the unknown. Uh, the, the, the place where the womb is and this child indeed is in the process of the formation of this baby. And it's always been unseen and mysterious to man. But David says that the secret is not a secret to God. None of it. From the moment of conception to the development, he says his hand is in it all. And none of it passes by God's sight it is perfectly understood to him. Verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, not imperfect, but unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. From conception to birth, God only sees all that was throughout the various stages of life. But as a matter of fact, his hand is in there perfecting them all, putting the pieces together from every minute to every hour to every day to every month. He's there perfecting all of these particular works that is his to understand. And actually, David speaks of even before it was performed, before conception, God's hand is there. At our mission office, we have a, a brass elephant it's about yay long and about yay high. And it is the strangest looking elephant. It was made by a, a fashioner of brass in Korea, uh, probably around the early 1900s, and um, uh, given to a missionary who served there, and, and he brought it to the office and left it. And I asked somebody who knew this missionary, he says, it doesn't look like an elephant. He says, well, the, the guy made it, only out of what was told him an elephant looked like. He says he never saw a picture, never understood what an elephant was like. He fashioned it according, looks more like a hippopotamus with a, an unusual nose, you know, and kind of strange ears like that, you know. That's not what God did. God says, I understood from the very beginning his conception. Uh, uh, an artist will look at a piece of stone or a piece of wood or a canvas, and he says, I've got a picture in my mind of what this ought to be like, and he goes ahead and he does it. But God says, from the very beginning, my hand was in it to perfection, all the way through, even before conception, to all the eternity past. How marvelous, David says, the understanding of our God. David also writes that God determines the length of our lives before we were born. And in thy book, all my members were written. <laughs> all, all of the pieces of me, they were all marked down, categorized, you know. Uh, need a new arm, well, let's go up to section 3 and 27, and there's, there's another arm. Pieces all put together properly is the way God has done it. That's the passage 
And you know, I think it's absolutely amazing what he stated. Absolutely amazing the picture that God has provided through the pen of David, through his own experience. You know, you examine the content of what David chose to to write about the skill and the power of God, and he didn't choose to say anything about creating the universe out of nothing. Some of you ladies do very well in your creations of a meal, you know, but it's not out of nothing. You know, we like to think that we can create and write a story or, or fix this or make this, but we don't do it out of nothing. But David doesn't use that as an illustration. He doesn't do it even as he thinks about the creation or the life given to Adam, reaching down into the earth and grabbing a handful of dirt and creating Adam, or all of the animals, or taking Adam's rib and turning it into Eve. David says, my expression of the power and the miraculous workings of God, I'm not going to use those as illustrations. David doesn't even reference the amazing fleeing of Israel from Egypt. Uh, the miracle of crossing the, uh, the sea on dry ground and, and allowing the Egyptian army to be swallowed up in those same waters. He doesn't use that as an illustration. David merely decides to choose a description of the miraculous development of a baby in a mother's womb. What's the power of your God? David says the most miraculous most specifically beautiful action that my God has done is me, creation of me. From before the foundation of the world to this very moment, he says, I witness these very things. As you know, David's early life was the life of a shepherd. I don't think there was anything understood to the people of that day of a formal education. His education probably came from his parents, uh, maybe some uncles or aunts, maybe even older siblings, or obviously from his own uh, curiosity. He sees and he asks and he wonders and he understands the situations and therefore he was taught. Matters of life and death were real to him. They were not imaginary. He saw both of them, life and death, in living color. I'm sure David participated in, a, in the birth of a baby lamb. I'm sure he was out there in the field some of the days and, and bringing that, helping that you along and bringing that baby into the world. And I'm sure he also did the other end of the, of, of the, of the lifespan. I'm sure there were some lamb roasts, you know, some, some mutton that was on the, on the table. And David had to say, a life has to be taken. And he understood life and death in that sense. We understand the principles that David gave us. Who was his father? Anybody remember? Jesse. And who was Jesse's father? Anybody beside the, the person who knows all their Bible? Sorry. Obed. And who are the parents of Obed? Ruth and Boaz. Ruth and Boaz. And I guarantee you that the education that David received in the practical issues of life and all of the things that he had questioned and all of the relationships of him and to the world around him were seeded with the teachings that were given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Precept upon precept, line upon line, 
they were laid before him. And he understood such a man, even though he had no paper diploma. I think he was wiser than so many of the people in our world today that have an arms list of degrees. I think he never stopped learning. Even though David's knowledge of the mysterious process by which a baby was conceived and grew in the womb was very limited, he knew enough to be able to state, I stand in awe of what's taking place. I stand in awe of God's omnipotence in such a situation. The mysterious wonder. He couldn't have realized how marvelous and miraculous the growth and development of a child truly was. Yet he came to the only logical conclusion that ever could have come. How could this be? But it had to be God. The hand of God. It had to be the miraculous way that he has provided. Programmed into each cell. Microscopic embryos, smaller than the little dot over the letter I, has all of the future characteristics of the individual with physical traits and natural abilities programmed into the germ cell of just one that enters into that place. There are over 30 billion cells in the brain. Billions of red blood cells and white blood cells in the veins. With the measurable skill and delicate precision, the omnipotent God develops the tiny egg into 60 trillion cells. 100,000 miles of nerve fiber, 60,000 miles of vessels carrying blood through the body every single minute, around the muscles, around the joints, around all from head to toe, perfectly operating in such a life form, all in conjunction with God's hand. And this complicated human system can't possibly result from some mechanical forces of evolution. Random chance, you know, over the billions of years, it just happens the key. Hardly. When David confessed without having taken one single cellular class, molecular biology or chemistry or human physiology or anatomy or physics and a slew of others. He indeed said it was worthy of our soul's attention. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Miraculous are thy works and that my soul knows right well. How? How could he have come to such a conclusion that we sit here today and say, it's obvious, and we are bombarded with all types of science that doesn't necessarily prove what we hold to as dear. The God of the galaxies is the God who is concerned about the color of a baby's hair, the genetic structure of the unborn child. We had to bow in reverence before this God and worship him because each individual child is a part of his handiwork. Each individual adult is a part of his handiwork. Every single human being is a product of his handiwork. We can all say everything that was stated here 
that David penned, fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous indeed in his sight. So what does that mean? First of all, it means that we can trust God because he has made us as we are. You know, the variety of flowers, we stand in awe of how you go by, especially somebody who rides it with me all the time. Oh, look at those over there. Oh, look at those, look at those. You know, got to put those in the yard next year, you know. And I said, all right, you know. The variety, you know, the colors, the the different times of the year, it's, it's marvelous indeed. The birds, the fowls of the air, the sounds they make and their colors and and everything that goes along. All of creation, tremendous variety, tremendous beauty. Yet we complain because our nose is too long, our feet are too long, my hair isn't quite the color of the actress that I favor, I need this surgery, I need this tuck, I need this injection, because I simply don't like the way I look. But what if we all looked alike? What if we were all the same? Eh, you know? What if we were all indeed good in math? Or good at raising chickens? Or good at plumbing? We didn't need anybody else to be able to handle any of those things. What if we were all good at reading? Or as athletes? Or at playing chess? Talk about the loss of diversity and of individualism. The creation of God, he says, I've made you as you are. Marvelous indeed in his sight. Instead of complaining about what we are not, we can be gratefully accepting what God has given us and what we are. Accepting such. Little song goes, I know God makes no mistakes. He leads in every path I take. Along the way that leading me home, though at times my heart would break, there's a purpose in every change he makes that others would see my life and know that God makes no mistakes. He's made me the way I am. And there's times that I'm not real happy with the way he made it. You know? (laughs) Uh, You understand, Lord, don't you? (laughs) We become discouraged. We become despondent. We become just, ah, I want to be like somebody else. But God says, no, your character is as you are. He knew all about us before we were even conceived. And our forming was not like that brass elephant. What am I going to make man like? Or this one? It doesn't really look like him. You know, perfectly designed individuals from all time. It was perfectly made in the way he had planned, and it came about because of his his design all along. And so in trusting him, we can show confidence in him. Matter of trusting what God has done in me and in the those that are around me, I can also have confidence in him. What we are is God's gift to us. Think of that. What you and I are is God's gift to us. What has he given me? He's given me me. Indeed, he's not going to judge us on the basis of what, we, of what he has given to somebody else, but on the basis of what we have done with what he's given to us. 
the evaluation of what we have, and especially as we understand the believer in Christ. He says, the relationship that I'm going to be judged for is not based upon how you have done with yours. Boy, I wish I could do that, or wish I could have handled that, or wish I was given that. No, God says, I evaluate you on what I gave you to deal with. The parable of the pounds, or the parable of the talents, you know. He gives one three, and he gives one two, and he gives one one. And, and three doubles his, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you know. And two doubles his to four, well done, good and faithful servant. The exact same reward for both of them. And the one who had one talent, he hid it, and he says, whoa, you're in trouble. And therefore, because he didn't do with what he was given. So what has God given in you, in, in me, that I have to be mindful of? Never be discouraged with what God has given you and what he's done with you. I think we ought to have the confidence about our life that is going to bring eager anticipation. And I think the longer we live, the longer we understand our past and we say, boy, that was marvelous how God worked that way out, the way God moved here and the way God did this. You know, Absolutely marvelous. Finally, I think we can respond with obedience. Because the matter of what he has done and prepared within us, we can trust him. We can have confidence in what he has done. That brings me to the place of doing what he wants us to do. We can take what God has given us and use it for his glory. Instead of searching for something that we don't have and can't have, how about we invest what we do have in serving him? What can I do? You know, Pastors, we always, I, at least I do, I evaluate others, and I said, boy, there was a fellow years ago, and they talked about him uh, as a man of prayer, and he says, when I was a little boy, lived in an old house that had a cook stove downstairs, and we had these vents that were just all in the house, and so we could hear everything in every other room that was going on, and he says, every single night, I heard my mom go to bed, and I heard her on her knees praying for her family every single night. He says that came through that little vent that was connected with our house. And he became this prayer warrior. He says, I, I wish I would pray like that. And, and I'm thinking, I'm listening to this guy, and he says, man, his, his prayer life is like this, and mine is like, like that. You know? It isn't that. What has God given me? And I need to be obedient to such a relationship. Paul's powerful admonition in Romans 12 I beseech you, I I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. When you hear sacrifice, what do you think? You know, no, living. There's nothing holding me back. I give it all. Living sacrifice, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, meaning separated to him, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's accepted. God says, I expect this. It's a reasonable service for you. And then he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. What's God's will for me? The more I give myself unto him and being obedient to him, the more I find out that's his will for me. And sometimes it's not rocket science. It's not a, you know, lightning bolts and opening of skies. But wow, that's marvelous. I share something that occurred this past week. 
our oldest grandson is 13 and was having difficulties with the one teacher in school. Mom and dad kept telling him, he says, pray about this teacher. And he says, what? Got a little note after Ted was this and da da da, you know, and he says, Mom, it was really very little, and she was, it's making, and I don't know what grade it is, you know, making a sixth or seventh grade or something like that, you know, making it hard. And, and so Jeff says, Ted, pray for her. Pray about the situation, that God will work it out. And for the whole week, this was going on. Friday, as, as uh, the classes ended, they sent out, the school sent out a notice to all of the parents. Pray for Mrs. So-and-so. Uh, she's going to be leaving the school because she's pregnant in, in December, you know. And, and he says, here's, here's the way the direction goes. And I, and I give myself not to uh, an attitude of rebellion, but to obedience. God, you've allowed this. Let me see your hand working it out. And there it was. She's a dear lady, works hard at her, at her trade, but um, in this particular situation, uh, it, was, it, was, it was just alleviated in answer to prayer. So that's a seed in his life to be able to see how God's hand works in all of these things. Trust, having confidence and obedience. As you go through the Psalms of David, you read, how could he have written those things? It's because he started with a foundation like this. He started from the beginning of his life. Where am I? Who am I? Where have I come from? And he goes, adds on to that line upon line, precept upon precept. There was no seminary class, no Bible school, no, no gathering of churches and for David to sit and listen to a pastor preach or having him open his Bible and to read. It was his relationship with God day after day after day after day. How could he become a man after God's own heart? Because of this very thing, he saw it clearly. So for us to, to learn to trust and have confidence in God and be obedient, we have to go back to the basics and say, Lord, you're in charge. You are sovereign over all of these things. I don't know why. I'm, 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 I'm just, you know. And he went to his bed crying at times. My pillow's wet, he says. You know, I struggle with this. My son, they did this. You know, I, all of the infightings and everything. But he always was, was there. And I think it's a tremendous uh, opportunity for our personal walk with God in growth. Uh, take these things. It's your, you, you're using part of your spiritual cell phone, you know, part of it. But there's so much more that God makes available. And I think that once these steps are taken, all of a sudden we're going to find that we are, have more access to what he does and how he can do it and how he can provide. Let's pray. Father, you see upon our hearts in a ways that we really can't. You know us in ways that we really don't even know ourselves. Even David confesses such. And the marvel of, of his words expressed the marvel of his heart. It was too awesome, it was too wonderful for him to comprehend. Yet he gave his heart and his life to you in learning and obedience and trust and confidence in what you have done. Thank you for such an example. Thank you for the the admonitions he had given in his word and also, Father, for his example in life. He wasn't a perfect man. He fell, and yet he was quick to to repent and uh, seek your face. And so even, Father, in our day, as we walk with you, there are going to be times when we stumble, when we fall. May we be quick to turn about and seek your hand, seek your face, your repentance and restoration 
in obedience to your will. Thank you, Father, for this psalm and for uh, our lives today. In Christ's name, amen.